The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. What a pleasure to have you traveling with us today. We're going to be talking about traveling coming right up. After the first break, I will be introducing someone I have admired for the longest time. She is an athlete, a triathlete, an Olympian in the Senior Olympics, and she's 81. So one would think Senior Olympics, and that is Ruth Heydrich, an amazing, amazing woman. I am just gearing up to be incredibly inspired in a bit, but right now, let's just all gear up to get packed and get on the road, on the vegan road, with our first guest, Caitlin Galler-Untie, who is a vegan food and travel writer. Now, she's originally from the U.S., from Illinois. She's now living in Barcelona, Spain, after a seven-year stint in London. She's traveled so far to 30 countries, and I asked her before we went on the air what she envisions that number to one day add up to be, and she just said, all the countries. So this woman has the travel bug and has it well. She blogs about the vegan food she finds and makes around the world at theveganword.com, which has been featured in the New York Times and Yahoo. The Essential Vegan Travel Guide, which I am holding in my hand and it's absolutely fabulous, is her first book. And truly, if you're vegan, It's the quintessential book to have in your suitcase wherever you go on this planet. Welcome, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me on, Victoria. Well, it is wonderful to be talking with you over there in Barcelona. So you've always been someone who's traveled. Then you went vegan. How did things change? Hmm. I actually think that I travel better since going vegan, I think it's a more enjoyable experience um, because you're uh, you're forced to look up restaurants in advance to think a bit about where you're going and not just go to the first restaurant that you happen to pass by. So I think I eat a lot better since traveling as a vegan, and I meet so many more interesting people. Um, it's a it's a really great way to meet and connect with vegans all around the world. So I think it's it's a It's a really fun and enjoyable experience traveling as a vegan. Well, I hadn't thought of it that way, but it is true. You become a much more purposeful traveler 
Because mm-hmm. rather than just showing up and figuring, oh, something will be somewhere, you really do have to do some research. And, um, you know, if I were just a regular mediator showing up somewhere, I wouldn't make plans to meet strangers. But <laughs> as a vegan, I make lots of plans to meet strangers and it helps. So good to know that we have your expert imprimatur on that. So where is the very best vegan food on the globe? Let's just cut to the chase. Um, One of my favorite places that I visited was actually Taiwan. Um, There are vegetarian and vegan restaurants everywhere. It was amazing. Just walking down the street, you just run into vegetarian restaurants. And um, everyone seems to really appreciate vegetarian food there. So when I checked into the hotel, they asked me if I wanted food recommendations. And I said, um, do you know any vegan places? I'm vegan. And they were like, oh, vegan food, of course. There's this place down the street. There's this other place. We, we love both of them. It just seems like they really appreciate vegetarian food. Well, that is wonderful to hear because I haven't been to Taiwan in over 20 years. And when we went there, we had the Chinese character for vegetarian uh, in the Taiwanese uh, complex characters all written out. And we went to a big marketplace and we would show the people our character and they would all say, no, no, and back away. And we didn't understand because they had all this rice and all kinds of vegetables. So we got back to the hotel hungry And the concierge explained that that symbol actually meant strict Buddhist, forbidden to eat meat. And it also covered having to eat anything that had ever had meat touch the pot. So they they thought we had a sort of um, kosher veganism going on. But glad to know that that things are are doing so well there these days. I know I've heard Will Tuttle say that it's just amazing. He's had Mm -hmm. 2,000 people turn out for his talks in Taipei. So what about the juxtaposition of all these vegan and vegetarian restaurants in a city like Taipei, but still at the night market, live animals, including Mm. kittens and puppies. How does a vegan travel and come to be open to the fact that cultures are different around the world, have a good time and not just be devastated? Yeah, it can be really hard sometimes traveling as a vegan because, as you mentioned, there's you might see live animals in a market or some places there are a lot of stray animals, um, and that can be really upsetting. Um, but I know, you know, there are a lot of people doing good work in, in pretty much every country around the world now. So there are animal shelters springing up in in Greece, for example, where there are a lot of stray dogs. So. Um, I know a lot of vegan travelers volunteer uh, while they're on the road, and I think that can make a difference because you see a different a different side to the culture of people that are trying to change things and and promote veganism and promote a more compassionate lifestyle. What a brilliant idea! Because I think any of us who travel as vegans think, okay, well, we're going to go on Happy Cow, we're going to find some good restaurants. But the idea of looking up people who are working for the betterment of animals. That would really add a dimension to a trip. So thank you for that. So food-wise, where have you found it challenging to be vegan? So I've had pretty good experiences uh, pretty much everywhere I've been. I'd say the most difficult place was probably when I was in a cloud forest in Costa Rica um, on a tour and we ended up in this tiny, tiny little restaurant that was just in someone's backyard, basically. And they had two options on the menu, beef or chicken. Um, so I explained to them that I was vegan and they, they weren't familiar with the concept, but they were completely willing to make me a dish out of the vegetables and rice and beans that they had on hand. So I think that that just goes to show that pretty much wherever you end up, even if you're in a really tiny backyard restaurant, people are willing to accommodate you if you 
um, if you ask nicely and, and you explain things. And we ended up having a great conversation about veganism and um, the tour guide who I was with was interested in, in vegetarianism and veganism. So I think it was quite a good experience. That's so cool. And, you know, the same advice goes for any restaurant that has 10 pages. <laughs> if there doesn't <laughs> seem to be anything vegan, there are some vegetables around somewhere. Like we just learn how to order assertively. Mm. So you are of the Internet generation for sure. You have a very successful blog, The Vegan Word. So what inspired you to move into print? <laughs> um, I just always loved reading books and even now in 2016 I have a Kindle but I almost never touch it because I just love physically holding a book um so the idea of of writing something that would be useful to people that they could take and pack in their suitcases but also something that I could hold in, in my hands and know that I created was was really appealing and it was really powerful when I held the actual book in my hands for the first time well, you've done an exceptional job. Just the phrases that you're telling people that they may want to translate. And, of course, you tell them then how to get these phrases translated. But I am vegan. I am vegetarian. But then to clarify, I do not eat fish. I do not eat eggs. I do not eat ghee, for example, if, if you're mm -hmm. in India. Is there fish sauce in this, which you need for Thailand? Is mm -hmm. there lard in this? We forget that people still use lard a lot in, in food preparation, even though it's fallen out of favor here. So how does your book differ? There are travel guides out there and some for vegetarians. What makes yours special? Yeah, so what I set out to do was to create something different to most travel guides. It's not a list of restaurants or accommodation. There are a lot of great uh, vegetarian and vegan travel guides out there that cover specific cities, but I wanted something that could cover anywhere. So even if you're going somewhere where there isn't a vegetarian travel guide available, or maybe there aren't very many happy cow listings, um, my book explains how to go about finding vegan restaurants and, and meeting other vegans no matter where in the world you end up. So it's really a, uh, a how-to guide showing you how to find vegan food anywhere. And how to make it in a hotel room. This was one of the things <laughs> that absolutely intrigued me. You have oatmeal in a coffee maker, couscous in a coffee maker, soup in a coffee maker. And of course, every hotel room has that coffee maker. But the idea that you could actually use it to get some food in your body when you arrive at 10 o'clock at night and you're exhausted and every place is closed is brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's, hopefully you don't have to resort to that for all your meals, but it's a really great backup option. Well, it also, I think, makes you feel like a much more savvy traveler. It's like, yeah, don't worry about me. I can do oatmeal in the coffee maker. <laughs> <laughs> so, listeners, you can download a free copy of the Vegan Summer Travel Guide and get a special discount on the book. The Essential Vegan Travel Guide 2016 edition by going to theveganword.com. That's W-O-R-D. And then you do slash Main Street Vegan. So that proves you listen to this podcast and you can get your free download and your book discount. Thank you so much for that, Caitlin. So tell us where you're going next. What, what's planned? Uh, so at the moment, like you mentioned, I'm living in Barcelona, Spain, so I'm busy exploring Barcelona. Um, I'm not sure where I'm heading next, actually. I still need to see Madrid. Um, so funny because you were saying to me before that you've been to Madrid but not Barcelona. It's opposite yes. for me. I need to plan a trip to Madrid because here I am in Spain and I've never been to Madrid. Do you know what's happening with the um, bullfighting issue there? Is there um, a lot of opposition these days? How's that looking? So it was banned in, in Catalonia, the province that Barcelona is in, a few years ago. Um, the rest of Spain still has has not made any moves to, to ban bullfighting. I think... I mean, 
from what I see, there seems to be a lot of opposition to, to bullfighting. So I think it's only a matter of time before they bring in a ban in other places. But mm-hmm. yeah, I hope. I, oh, and I, I hope so too. I actually went to one in Madrid when I was 10 years old, as I was mm-hmm. telling you, my, my mother lived there. And, you know, it's just what people did. It's what you do. You go to Spain. And I had no idea as a kid what I was going to see. I was absolutely horrified and and ran out in tears. And I have to give my mom credit that uh, she was very happy to support our leaving this event. But that was such a long time ago. And and I guess the wheels of change do turn slowly. But I love it that you're in the province where they've banned it. I feel like Mm -hmm. you're in the Austin of Spain. (laughs) Yeah, we're very lucky here in in Barcelona. It's um, quite a progressive city, very vegan friendly. So it feels like the, the vegan scene's developing here pretty quickly a lot of people are making the transition and they actually just declared the city council declared barcelona a veg friendly city so they're promoting oh. vegetarianism and veganism throughout the city how nice well then uh, a lot of us may be knocking on your door and coming there to <laughs> visit so the book everybody is the essential vegan travel guide its author is caitlin galler auntie the website is the veganword.com and if you do slash main street vegan you'll get a special gift and a book discount and you can find caitlin at the vegan world all over the web and we will put that on this week's show notes at mainstreetvegan.net thank you so much caitlin for staying up into the evening although i guess in spain you haven't even had dinner yet yeah it's just about dinner time now (laughs) 9 p.m (laughs) uh whenever i get tired in the afternoon my husband will always say to me this is why so many cultures have siestas so (laughs) thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today happy travels and when your travels bring you to new york city uh give a call we'll go eat something green Sounds fantastic. Thanks Thanks so much. All the best. And everybody stay with us. We are going to be bringing on an athlete to amaze, Ruth Heydrich, PhD, just after this. Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world. We count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of 
writing down your soul, the lotus and the lily, and your soul wants five things. As she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find my God. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Um, apologies for the little bit of a long break. We were having some difficulty uh, connecting with our guest because she is in the lovely land of Hawaii. Um, before we get to Ruth, I had several people write this week who said that they were very interested in last week's guest giving her very lucid reasons uh, about why I was wrong to endorse um, the Reducitarian book uh, coming up by a young author, um, Brian Cateman. And they said, but we didn't hear you say why you did it. So, okay, I'm going to keep this really short. I actually wrote it down to keep me short. The short answer is, I am committed to helping people go vegan and stay vegan. I will reach those who are open to that message. Billions of people are not. Some of these billions may be open to a reducitarian approach. And if I can support a fellow author who's working to reach people that I will never reach, people whose actions will save lives, potentially help stem climate disaster, I will support that colleague. I respect those whose commitment to veganism would prevent them from doing this. My commitment to veganism compels me to do it. And just an addendum, the endorsement that I offered this young author is never even going to be on the book because I've actually written an entire essay for it, an essay encouraging people who are looking at reducing animal product consumption to consider coming all the way to veganism. So that's why I did it, and I know not everybody agrees, and I respect you guys implicitly whether we agree on everything or not. So here's something we can agree on. The absolute incredible inspiration of Dr. Ruth Heydrich. If you do not know this woman, she is someone you absolutely must meet. When I tell you about her, you're going to wish that she was sitting in your living room right now so you could ask her questions that I'm about to ask her. You can also call in 816-347-5519 and ask her some questions um, yourself if you would like. Dr. Ruth was a stage four breast cancer patient. Now, this was a shock way back in the 1980s because she was a fit marathoner. She started digging into why she got cancer and found that diet was the obvious culprit. Working with Dr. John McDougall, who was conducting a clinical study on women with breast cancer, who agreed to use a vegan low-fat diet as their only treatment besides the surgery to remove the tumor, Dr. Ruth was amazed to find that not only all her cancer signs disappeared, but her running got faster. She then decided to prove that this diet was so powerful that it could also fuel one of the most grueling athletic events, the Ironman Triathlon. All these years later, she is still cancer-free, still running, biking, and swimming at the age of 81. She has eight gold medals in the Senior Olympics, and when she was 64... She was named one of the 10 fittest women in North America, and the other nine were all in their 20s and 30s. Oh, my gosh. Are you excited? I am. Welcome, Dr. Ruth Heydrich. <laughs> Thank you, Victoria. What? Wow, that was so much fun listening to the, my journey. You summed it up beautifully. It's so important. Diet is just 
number one, and of course, exercise number two. <laughs> Thank you for that. Well, fill in the blanks. You know, we've we've told people <laughs> a little bit of your story, but when you were diagnosed, you you must have been in absolute shock because you were fitter than anybody. You're absolutely right. I sat there stunned in Dr. McDougall's office as he was looking through my records. And he also said, you know, with a cholesterol of 236, you're as at high a risk of dying of a heart attack as you are the breast cancer. That was a double stunning moment. I said, wait a minute, wait just a darn minute. And that's when he started to explain. He reached around a filing cabinet, pulled it open, and he said, this is all the research I have on epidemiological studies that show that women in all these different countries who have the highest meat consumption, have the highest cancer and heart attack rates, and conversely, on the lowest, they have almost no breast cancer and heart disease. Then he looks at another file, and he said, and these are the animal studies which had been done at that time. Remember, this is way back in the 70s, 40s, 50s. He said you could take a a cancer tumor implanted on the the bellies of a whole bunch of rats and put half of them on a high-fat diet and the other half on a low-fat diet. The tumors on the high-fat diet immediately spread throughout, whereas on the low-fat diet they shriveled and dropped off. In two hours, I became vegan. I walked out of his office thinking, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, um, it, it wasn't all that easy for the people around me. Uh, my then-husband said, this is a bunch of BS, and he spelled out the words, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you fall into the hands of a quack, and he said, this is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I went to back to the hospital and talked to my oncologist, and he said, oh, diet has nothing to do with breast cancer. And I was referred to a number of other doctors, and they all said, you can't possibly get enough protein. You can't get enough calcium. Uh, you're, you know, I was just running into resistance everywhere I went. But I was seeing the results. I had also been constipated all my life. I didn't know it because doctors had said, oh, three or four times a week is normal for some people. Well, (laughs) the straining I did and the fact that I had a fissure at age 23 and had to have surgery should have told me there's something else going on here. I found, in fact, people love to ask me, how soon did you start seeing the results from your change to a vegan diet overnight? And I said, the next morning, because <laughs> I found out what normal was, and I've been normal ever since. So there were so many advantages. You mentioned the faster running. I took 17 minutes off my next marathon, which was only three or four months after the surgery and, and the shock of going through this diagnosis. Obviously, some anxiety, or I should say a lot of anxiety, um, because I knew that breast cancer stage four was pretty darn serious. I had gotten second, third, fourth, fifth opinions, and they, they all agreed. But what when I saw all these results and the faster running and taking on swimming and biking, which happened just because I hadn't gone back to work yet and just watching television to pass time and curiosity took me to this uh, channel surfing where I saw the Ironman triathlon. And this was right here in Hawaii. I saw the Waikiki Rough Water Swim that, that I knew where that was. I hadn't done it. And then the Around the Island bike ride. And I thought, oh, I can do that. And so I started checking into uh, think, and then I thought, uh-oh, you know, I'm 47 years old. These are all kids. They're 20s doing this. And then I thought, you know, I am still so fit and I'm getting faster. What if I could prove that a vegan diet is enough to do the Ironman? And then the second thought, lady, you've just been diagnosed with cancer. Your life has changed. And I, 
wait a minute. No, it's just gotten better. So I started training like a maniac. I mean, literally. I did go back to work for a short period of time, but my mind was not there. I, In fact, I went through periods where I'd oh, kind of break into tears and think, you know, when I'd have my low moments, and then I'd go for a run or walk or... Uh, talk to somebody and I'd get back up again and Dr. McDougall was wonderful. He was so available to help me through all this and and so ever since, you know, I try to tell people, hey folks, it whatever almost whatever's wrong with you, this will cure. Uh and you know the documentary Forks Over Knives that's mm-hmm. a pretty amazing... Uh, you've seen it, haven't you, Victoria? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, okay. Let me tell you what happened just this morning. I was out for my usual on the route and going along, and all of a sudden a woman comes up from behind, taps me on the shoulder. She said, can I ask you a, a quest? And I smiled, and she said, you know what I'm going to ask, don't you? And I said, forks over knives? And she <laughs> said, Yes. I said, oh, my God, I was so shocked, and I, and I was stunned. She said, we just saw it last night, and when I, I was sitting in my office, and I looked down, and I was on the phone to my husband, and I said, you won't believe this, but the woman we saw last night is running in front of <laughs> us, and the husband said, run down and, and go get her. <laughs> so she dropped the phone, came, and that's how we met this morning. I, oh, I, that's I wonderful! And I, I had the biggest grin on my face. Oh, <laughs> I, you know the documentaries are so powerful. Last night I oh. went to a, a book signing for for Joe Cross, who did uh, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. He has a new little book out called Juice It to Lose It, and it was just uh-huh. so gratifying to be there and see all these people who would not have an interest in. Any of these things had they not watched a film. It's a powerful, yeah. powerful medium. So before we leave the, the breast cancer topic, Ruth, I want to yeah. ask you about the soy controversy. So many people say, oh, I won't eat soy. There's breast cancer in my family or I've had breast cancer. So where do you come yeah. down yeah. on that? <laughs> well, the soy has phytoestrogens, which are better than the real ones in terms of the fact that most people eating the SAD diet or any of the Western diet variations, including many of the Mediterranean, have too much estrogen. And so the soy in its pure non-GMO form is good. And, And you don't have to overdo it. I do mention in senior fitness that uh, the women in Japan who eat a lot of soy products, it's not their mainstay and it's not textured soy protein. It's a whole food and it's part of the rest of their diet. Now, unfortunately, diets in China and and Japan and many of the African countries are changing, and they're seeing increased rates of not just breast cancer, but colon cancer, heart disease, diabetes, dementia, everything else. So in terms of the soy, a little bit in the form of edamame, the whole food is okay, not too much um, and not in any kind of a refined form. That's where I stand. (laughs) That's doable. So since we're talking about food, what do you eat? Everybody always wants to know when somebody does spectacular things, as you certainly do, what do you feed yourself in order to do it? Well, it starts with the shopping list, which is fruits and veggies. (laughs) Pretty much that's the basis of it. Um, Do have some beans uh, some whole grains, but leafy greens, I'm just such a fan of leafy greens. I started eating them for breakfast way back in 88, 1988, when I was working on the Seoul Olympics as a kind of a part-time trainer, U.S. support person, and was able to 
eat in the in the dining halls of all the Olympic athletes. So I go in there and I look around at the different countries. You know, they each have their own pavilion. So the Japanese with their rice and vegetables, and the and Chinese with same thing, rice and vegetables primarily. U.S. McDonald's. <laughs> you know the the contrast. And so I'm looking at all these different athletes and what they're eating, and the ones from the different countries all have leafy greens in their their breakfast in autonomy why not so back then is when i first started adding kale to oatmeal and i found it was delicious <laughs> in fact in the book born to run by chris mcdougall uh, i was interviewed for that and because i study the tarahumara these are the indians who do 48 hour races and win a uh, hundred mile races in colorado and looked at their diet, and it's squash, beans, and corn, period. So I thought, why not add lots of vegetables to the first meal of the day? So that's when I started with the leafy greens and and a carrot and uh, then the fruit. I know fruits get into your bloodstream quickly. Uh, That's called the high glycemic index. And if you're running (laughs) or biking or swimming, that's what you want. Of course, if you're sedentary, you don't want that. But as long as it's a whole food and not the fruit. So I don't juice anything. I eat the whole food. So that's basically my breakfast. And it's Question. A large... uh, just for people sure. who are very, very interested in food in its exactitude, is this raw kale in the oatmeal or cooked kale oh, yes. in the oatmeal? Raw. Raw kale. Raw. Okay. Yeah. I do Got very it. little very little cooking. In fact, these days, I don't even cook the oats. I right. soak them <laughs> for just a few minutes, and it, it, it's delicious. I love it that way. Um, so that's, and I call myself now High Raw. I have a, a ebook cookbook, uh, which is uh, all the recipes that, that I used, plus a, a bunch that I think are really good. And then a chapter on going raw. I was 100% raw for a few years and was losing some weight, which I could stand to lose, but then I got to the point where I'd lost too much. So I started at back with the sweet potatoes, yams, um, quinoa, brown rice. And so I have... A, a high raw, raw when possible. It is so easy, so convenient, so fast. And the shopping list just consists of those kinds of foods. I eat um, kale raw, uh, corn on the cob raw is wonderful. Have you ever tried that? I have. And when it's really fresh from the farmer's (laughs) market, it is delectable. It really is. You don't ruin it with heat and butter. (laughs) It's, It's delicious. Uh, so my supper really is a lot more leafy greens with uh, tomato, bell pepper, all uh, very different colors. You know, the, not just the green, but the the red are especially high in, in lutein and um, vitamin C, and they taste great. Broccoli, I eat broccoli every day and have for, what, 34 years now. Very few days have I missed broccoli. And then my dessert is always blueberries and prunes. There was a study that showed that if you ate nine prunes a day, that your bones would remain stronger than if you didn't have any prunes at all. And I thought, well, why not? I know my running and my low-protein diet, or I should say the perfect amount of protein diet, is going to protect my bones, but... I wanted to add the, the prunes just to be sure. Plus, I love them. <laughs> you know, prunes and blueberries with cinnamon sprinkled on top, some raw gin- ginger. I add ginger to all my dishes. It's an anti-inflammatory. It adds a nice spice to the, <laughs> the taste of the foods, both the sweet and the savory. Uh, I love cinnamon. I put that on my breakfast and my dessert. I love turmeric. I use a lot of that probably close to a tablespoon sprinkled over my dinner uh, salad. And the quantity is really important when you're eating a diet mostly of fruits and vegetables. You have to eat a lot to get enough calories. 
And so my <laughs> dinner, uh, I don't want to call it a plate because it really is a large mixing bowl. That's what, and, and Bob and I both eat the same thing, a, a large mixing bowl full of all this food, and we eat until we're satisfied, until we don't want any more. And, you know, it's just a simple way of life. Shopping is simple. It's relatively inexpensive. I just recommend it to everybody. <clears throat> Simple and sensible. Now, you've said a couple of things I wanted to follow up on. You used the word anti-inflammatory, and you also Uh talked about peppers, which are a nightshade. And I know that some people feel that, that peppers, tomatoes, potatoes, eggplant exacerbate arthritic conditions, whether osteoarthritis or, or uh, the inflammatory uh, arthritic conditions. Now, you are a runner. And you are 81. How are your joints? They're good. I have one bad knee, but that was from an injury from the second time I got hit by a truck. Um, I landed. He hit me on the, my left side, made a left turn right into me while I was biking. And it, it fractured the left leg, on the left leg. And then I landed on the right hip and the right knee. And so I got a torn cartilage, which they haven't been able to fix. So that's the only joint problem I have. The rest are are doing fine. Oh, that's wonderful. So Yeah, and I don't know about the nightshade thing. I know that uh, tomatoes used to be the, uh, thought to be poisonous. Uh, there are a lot of things that uh, dandelions consider a weed, and it really is one of the healthiest leafy greens. So I I don't know. I just have had no negative experience with any of the nightshades. Okay. Now, this is very interesting, Ruth. You've written a book called Lifelong Running. You've written a book called Senior Fitness. Yeah. Yeah. Most people aren't moving when they're 30, and they're certainly not moving when they're 80. So can you just reach out to all of us in that general range and get those of us off the couch who are over there? You've got to take that first step, and that is put some comfortable shoes on, go out your front door, and go explore. Um, My first step happened because of a book. I know your previous guest mentioned she loves books. I love books. Uh, That one book by Dr. Kenneth Cooper, he's an MD, Mm. who published the first book called Aerobics. And that was based on all this research on how running was so helpful to the whole body, head to toe, from uh, the brain activity to flat feet to all parts in between. And I had had some really bad back problems, in fact, three weeks in traction in the hospital when I was 23. This is, a, you know, the second real bad episode in my early 20s. Isn't that incredible? Anyway, uh, when he said... Most most back aches are due to weak muscles that can't support the the spine. And I thought that makes perfect sense. So I read that whole book again, Aerobics by Kenneth Cooper, and finished it about two in the morning because I couldn't put it down. It was so fascinating. And the next morning, I dug through my closet, found an old pair of cuffed Bermuda shorts and my tennis shoes, and took off out the door and (laughs) just started uh, to the left because it was downhill and ran uh, what turned out to be a half a mile, turned around, came back, and realized how good I felt. This is, hmm, (laughs) what a discovery. And that was in 1968. And that's why I was asked to write Martin Rowe, the uh, editor of and I guess co-owner of Lantern Books, called me after he had edited my first few books and said, we want you to write a book on running. He started running as a result of reading Senior Fitness. Hmm. And a race, and a race for life. And he was, he says this in the forward to lifelong running. He said, I was sitting there looking down at my 45 year old married man's belly and decided <laughs> it was time to do something. So that's what got him started. I told you what got me started, a book. Um, 
exploring is so much fun. I love running around the world. I have made it one of my great joys to travel and run in new places, whether it be running on the Great Wall of China or around Stonehenge or in Kenya on an elephant sanctuary. Oh, gosh, there are just so many fantastic, all across Canada, different provinces. I've run in each one of them except Northwest Territories. I haven't gotten there yet, or the Arctic Circle, or Antarctic, and those are on my list. So there's joy in activity. Uh, It handles anxiety, stress, um, appetite. I really believe our appetites are good guides as long as we don't hijack them with sugars and artificial flavors and artificial foods that if you're eating a whole food, plant-based diet, you can use your appetite to be your guide. And I really think that would help people with eating disorders, whether it be bulimia or anorexia, whatever. You do get to eat what you want as your taste buds buds start really appreciating good, healthy food. This is true. This has certainly been my experience. But I have a funny story to tell you, Ruth, um, about Kenneth Cooper. I interviewed him back in the oh. late 1970s. It was about 1977 or 78. And uh-huh. I wrote about it in probably Vegetarian Times. I'm, I'm not sure. One of the magazines that was around at that time. And subsequently, now my daughter has come along and grown up and all the rest. And whenever I have said in a talk that I interviewed Kev- Kenneth Cooper, who invented the word aerobics, she has said to me it with just a look of horror in her eyes, you were alive before they had aerobics. <laughs> and I said, yes, dear, and zip codes. So kind of takes you back. So why why is it? Oh, let me let me tell you a follow-on story about Please. Kenneth Cooper. Yes, um, he visited Honolulu um, shortly after the, my diagnosis and conversion to a vegan diet, and I had a manuscript in my hand called "A Race for Life: From Cancer to the Iron Man." So I went up to him after my talk, and I handed him a copy of the manuscript, and I said, "Dr. Cooper." You were the one. Now, this is 82. Remember, 14 years later, after I started running, you were the one responsible for getting me to run marathons and be fit and healthy. I want you to read my manuscript and let me know what you think. I would love for you to endorse it. He said, okay, I'll do it. I get a telephone call about a week later, and he says, Ruth, this is Dr. Cooper. I just finished reading your manuscript, and I cannot believe what I just read. We had a short conversation that ended up him saying, I want you to come to the Cooper Clinic in Dallas, Texas. I want to run every test in the book on your body, uh, seeing what's happened with the cancer, with your bones, with your blood work, and everything else. He said, my dietitians, and he has a staff at that time, I think it was four RDs, registered dietitians, who looked at my diet, which is described in A Race for Life, and they said, you know what they said, Victoria, (laughs) right? You can't get enough protein on that diet. Where's the calcium without dairy? And so he said, uh, we want to see really what condition your condition is in. And Mm -hmm. he said, by the way, while you're here, I'm going to give you a chance to run the bulky protocol. Now, this is a cardiology test for heart strength. Uh, they diagnose heart disease with it. And it's a treadmill that's, that starts slow and level and gradually increases speed and elevation. And he said, at that, the point where you give up total exhaustion is where we put you in an age group and your uh, level of fitness. And he chuckled and he said, and I have a hunch that you're going to be setting some new records. Could I turn down that chance? Absolutely not. <laughs> I actually had a chance to do an Oklahoma uh, half marathon. So I did that the week before. Uh, I was invited to do that race, so that was already paid for. And I thought, wow, you know, this is really working out fantastically. So after the race, I then flew to Dallas 
stayed at the Cooper Clinic. It's a beautiful facility, by the way. It's oh, it's forested area, lots of leafy green areas. Um, anyway, uh, he had me rigged up to do the test on the treadmill. I had the electrodes all over. He had also invited all the the newspaper reporters because he had said uh, we're going to set a world record in fitness if I'm a cancer patient who's done the Ironman triathlon. So, you know, I walk into this room and I see all these people and I'm getting all hooked up and start the test. And he start, it starts, as I said, slow and then gets faster and, and uh, I'm doing fine. You know, he go along and then he, at one point he says, well, you've just surpassed the male 30-year-old superior category. <laughs> and I go, wow, <laughs> wow. So come on, let's keep going, keep going. And then he said, okay, you've got 30 more seconds to break a new fitness re- world, fitness record. And so I thought, oh, I can do it, I can do it. And I hit it, and yay, stopped the test right then. And he turned to all the reporters, and the flashbulbs were going off. And he said, she has proven what I've been saying all along about fitness and running. And then he turns to me and he said, and I want you to come back next year and break the record you just set. <laughs> wow. So guess what? I did. You did. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I just and, had to go a few the, more, <laughs> few and, more and seconds And you did longer. it all protein deficient is really really yeah (laughs) oh my goodness ruth we're down to our last minute there's so much i could ask you just (laughs) talk talk to people of the over 65 age group yeah what what can we expect (laughs) as we look around at our peers who are kind of dropping out and sitting down yeah. Well, we know what metabolic syndrome is. High blood pressure, high cholesterol, high blood sugars. Diet takes care of all three of those. And you feel good. You feel energetic, strong, powerful. And if once you hit, when I hit 50, I expected, you know, that, that menopause and everything else was going to take me down. I had absolutely zero menopause symptoms. None whatsoever. Uh, I was running faster and faster and setting new records in my 65, uh, 70 age group and thinking that how come everybody doesn't know this, that as you age, you can still improve. Now, you are going to plateau at some point, and then, then it becomes a struggle to not lose. Well, in your late 70s and 80s, that, that does start happen, happening, but you can still keep going. The rewards are so great that uh, age is, you know, as they say, it's just a number. The numbers do count. Uh, you do get slower. You have to work harder to maintain that muscle mass. Um, I lift weights three times a week. Uh, my regular morning routine runs between two and three hours just because I never want to quit. You know, I get to the end of my uh, run, bike, swim, whatever, and I think, uh-oh, I've run out of time. Well, I guess I better quit. Um, well, it's, just get started. That's the main thing. You are amazing. I have senior fitness um, and lifelong running on oh, a shelf. God. They are going to be oh. pulled off the shelf uh, and read <laughs> over and over again because you are just amazing. And I'm I just. Not. Anybody, Victoria, <laughs> anybody can do what I did. You need the motivation. And I had that medical gun to my head. You know, I was not <laughs> given a second chance. In my mind, this is it, lady. You do it right. No second chances. And it turned out to be the best thing I've ever done in my life, 34 years later. So uh, anybody can do it. Well, and and I think that the people listening to this program, uh, majority, already have the food down. And so um, the ones who, who don't have the movement part, maybe this is the best day of their lives. Yeah. So, Well, I do have my website, okay. which is Ruth Heidrich. RuthHydrick.com, R-U-T-H, no space, H-E-I-D-R-I-C-H. And I have a, a little link 
click Dr. Ask Dr. Ruth, and I do answer questions. Great. Well, we will put all that on our show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. We are out of time. Thanks, everybody, (laughs) for listening, and thanks to Unity Online Radio for letting us get this amazing message out there. God bless you, and eat your veggies. Yes. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. the key to happiness would you like to find the fountain of youth how about all the money and love that you could handle well my friends it is there for you you just need to strip off the false beliefs that keep your divine inheritance from being attracted into your life you need to be real be vulnerable be naked what are you waiting for let's get naked This transformational program with Reverend Heidi Alfrey is an invitation to explore and remove the blocks that keep you from emotional freedom. Listen to Heidi and her revealing guests as they embrace the power of spiritual nakedness as a guaranteed way to live an authentic and transparent life. Expose yourself to your greatness on Mondays at 3 p.m. Central Time. Let's get naked. No dress code required. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You gotta get rid of your butt. It's bigger than it would appear. It hinders your forward movement when you keep bringing up the rear. Everyone has purpose in life, but too often that purpose goes undiscovered. There is a simple way you can discover your special purpose in life. Draw up a list of all the qualities you value in yourself and that others admire in you. Don't be shy. There are probably many of them. Then, look at the ways in which you interact most effectively with other people. Are you a good leader? A good teacher? A good organizer? A good listener? Finally, describe in as much detail as you can what your world would be like under the best of all possible circumstances. Your purpose in life is to use your best qualities in the service of the kind of world in which you would like to live. This Law of Life is brought to you by Unity. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. notice that there might be something not quite right, but you just can't put your finger on it? We may describe it as an inner stirring, a restlessness, a yearning to find our way home to our heart and higher purpose. Some of us may feel like we are living on borrowed time, that despite our accomplishments, what was once so important to us now just feels empty and meaningless. If you find your heart longing, wanting, looking for a path home to authenticity and purpose, join us for transformation, inspiration, hope, and possibility. Move toward your higher calling. Listen to The Call of Spirit with Evelyn Foreman and tune in to Possibility every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time here on Unity Online Radio. Like life, grief is a journey, not a destination. Whether it is loss of life, 
relationship, security, or simply the process of change, have you given yourself permission to begin your journey of grief? Have you yielded to the gift of grace? Join Reverend Chaz Wesley every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central on a virtual navigation from grief to grace and explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again. Don't take your dreams lying down.